0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. And today I want to speak to you from the subject for love and truth. For love and truth. I'm going to read a verse to you out of 1 Corinthians. But if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and go forward to the book of Romans, chapter 1. And we're going to read a large portion of Scripture there together in a moment. But we're going to start in a very famous passage of Scripture In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is the love chapter where Paul, and really God through Paul, defines specifically and exactly what love is and how it works. Paul says in chapter 13, verse six, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. But how many are thankful for the love of Jesus Christ that came after you, that protects you, perseveres in your life? Today I want to speak to you about these big themes that are found in this scripture, love and truth. And and I want to show you about how these things are correlated and they're connected. And love and truth are, are God's eternal answer to evil. I well, want you to know the opposite of evil is not good. The opposite of evil is God. And God fights against evil. God comes against evil. And he uses these twin pillars of love and truth to expose the evil and the lie of the enemy. Therefore, love cannot have any connection, cannot have any, cannot have any correlation, cannot have any delight in evil. Because it is sent here to destroy evil. And love rejoices is inspired by, is connected to truth. Today, it is my goal for this church, Awakening Church, to understand the nature and need for truth that is motivated by love. And so I hope that you and I are going to grow up a little bit in, our, in a spiritual sense today. We're going to take another step in Christian maturity, and I want to encourage you to hear the word of the lord and allow it to go deep in your heart and to change you don't try and change it let god make man in his image not us make him in ours let's pray holy spirit we invite you to come and we invite you to reveal to us the nature of love and truth god reveal it to our mind our hearts but god i pray you even go deeper and you go right to our spirits And God, awaken our spirits and empower our spirits. And today, I pray you set people's spirits free, Lord Jesus, that they are connected to your Holy Spirit and life begets more life. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, amen. 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 When we're speaking about love, it's a large topic. You could preach for a year. You could write uh, essays on it. Many philosophers, people, teachers have tried to tackle this massive subject. When we're speaking about love, we have to define what is love. It's a difficult thing to do, but for the purpose of my sermon today and the purpose of our discussion, I would propose to you that love is more than an emotion. Love is more than a lifestyle. And love is more than an action. I would propose to you that love is an extension of the very nature of God. Love is an extension of the very nature of who God is. 1 John chapter 4 tells us this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves knows the source, comes from the source, but anyone who does not love, it's because they do not know God. Why? Because God is love. Love is not God, but God is love. Love is an extension of the nature of God, but it is correlated and connected to truth. God is love. Therefore, God defines love. God sets the boundaries of love. God exposes the nature of love. Why does this matter? This matters because right now, the problem that we are facing in our generation, in our society, is the problem of a redefinition of love. And the reason that this is a problem is because the redefinition of love is actually a deeper attempt at the redefinition of God. You hear me? The redefinition of love is actually a more subtle, a more dastardly attempt to redefine who God is. Love is not above God. God is the source, God sets the boundaries, God shows the nature, and God extends love from his nature. Therefore, if you want to learn about love, you have to go to the source who is God. The world that does not know God does not get to then define what love is, for they do not know the source of love. God defines. Therefore, love does have boundaries and God sets them. Love does have boundaries and God sets them. I want to tell you some truths, two truths about love today. The first is that love is never the absence of truth. Love is never the absence of truth. This is what Paul's speaking about when he says love does not delight in evil, but love rejoices with the truth. I want you to hear me. Love does not coerce. Love does not seek to control, but love does always speak truth. And love does always contend for truth. We live in a society that is postmodern in its its approach to love. In other words, they're trying to reprioritize love above God. But no, love comes from God. It is underneath God. And love is objective because of God. It is not subjective. In other words, people will say, well, what's true for you is true for me. Whatever my definition of love has to be your definition of love. Let me live my truth. I'm not harming anyone. And we're caught in a societal uh, uh, cycle of the emperor's new clothes where everyone has to shut their mouths to truth in the name of love. But make no mistake, there is no love if there is no truth. They're connected. And it is not a kindness to engage in dishonesty. We must hold fast to truth. And we must speak the truth. But we must do it in love. Because they're connected. But what happens to a society... That rejects truth? What happens to a society that diminishes truth? What happens to a society that becomes absent of truth? What does it look like? What are the consequences? What are the fallout from a society that deplatforms truth, that cancels truth, that diminishes truth, that hides truth, that mocks truth, that jeers at truth? It's gonna have a cost. There's got to be a consequence. Truth is too powerful to disregard it. It's too eternal to just try and change its nature. No, there's got to be a cost. And our society is paying a cost of the diminishment, the suppression of truth. But I want you to know this isn't the first time that truth has been suppressed. We're not the first society to lose our moral bearings. We're not the first society to lose our direction. Now, the enemy might try and come to you today as I'm speaking and say, Jordan's preaching about a culture war. I'm not. I'm speaking about a moral war. I don't care if Starbucks has a red cup during Christmas or not. That's a culture war. But we must care for truth. We must hold to love. We must strand ourselves upon Scripture and Scripture alone. Because a society that diminishes and suppresses truth eventually always loses itself. And we're not the first society to do this. Rome was a grand empire. Lasted for hundreds of years. And make no mistake, they were advanced. They were innovative, They had democracy. I mean, Rome was a power. And it seemed like it was a power that would never, ever, ever end. Military strength. And do you know that Rome was, was not conquered by an outside force? Rome crumbled from within. You know, it's been said that only a Roman could defeat Rome. It crumbled from within. Well, where did it start? Where did the corruption start? Where did the loss of integrity start? You know, the Bible tells us the answer to this catastrophe of humanity. Paul shows us how empires fall. It's the same way Persia fell. It's the same way Babylon fell. It's the same way Rome fell. And if we're not careful, it's the same way the empire of America will fall. It's the same way we will fall. Paul is prophetic in the book of Romans by laying out exactly what's happening and why it's happening and what will happen as a consequence of the ignorance of truth. He speaks of a societal spiral. In Romans Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read a large portion of scripture to you today. Verse 18 Paul tells us about how this fall begins. He says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Where did it begin? It began with unrighteousness that denied, diminished, and suppressed truth. And make no mistake, God will not have it. For what can be known about God is plain to people, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in all the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And how much more our society that has not just created world, but has the very word of God before us, we are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Does this sound familiar yet? Are you seeing how this works? The denial of God led to foolishness. So then what happened? Verse 23 says, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, idols, birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Does this sound familiar? Do you see how society deconstructs when it rejects truth? And so we see this spiral begin. And Paul says, for this reason, God gave them up to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. The image is a tug of war. And after fighting with God, God lets go. He gave them up to a debased, a broken, a darkened mind, and they were now filled with all manner of unrighteousness. It just gets worse. Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And so society begins to spiral. This is what happened to Rome, and this is what we are seeing happen to us. If you do not recognize the world around you, that's because we are caught in the death spiral of the deconstruction of truth. And the reality is this, the denial of truth always leads to darkness. The denial of truth, always leads to darkness. It allows a shroud to come over your mind. It allows a lesser authority, a demonic presence to begin to guide your thinking. I mean, haven't you seen it in our society? Where did the explosion of anxiety come from in the last 20 years? What about suicides that are through the roof? Depression that has taken hold, so much so that even here in our state, the beds in psychiatric wards are filled on a wait list four, six, eight months out. They can't build hospitals for the mind quick enough. What has happened? Because you got to understand, anxiety is not a new thing that people have dealt with. I mean, that's, that's been going on for so long. Jesus spoke about it in the Sermon on the Mount. So this isn't a new thing, but, but what's happening is new. There is something catastrophic happening in the minds of men and women, particularly young men and women, who are paying the greatest price for the churches and, 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 and for the church's desire for relevancy over truth. Make no mistake. There's nothing sinful about being relevant, but if you are trying to be relevant to evil, then by nature you become evil in and of yourself. There's got to be something more important that we hold to than being relevant, cool, or accepted. We must hold to truth because it is only truth that will drag you out of the pit. It is only truth that will lift you out of the valley. It is only truth that will invade your mind with light. Hear me. Hear me. It is truth that sets you free. Right now. Newest John Hopkins statistics say that one in four people in America are diagnosed mentally ill. There's a high cost to denying truth, and we're paying it. Our murders are up 30% in the last year. People can't be on flights anymore because they're losing their minds. People are losing their minds in sporting events. Security's going through the roof. I'm sure you've been driving and you've seen the road rage. What is happening This is what it looks like to live under a shroud. This is what it looks like to live in darkness. This is what it looks like to live a society that is so sexually confused it cannot figure out who it is. What has happened? Well, what has happened is what Paul described, is that unrighteousness leads you to suppress truth, and and suppressing of truth leads God to letting go. And then when God lets go, evil takes the reins and evil brings deep destruction. Truth has a cost, yes, but living a lie will cost your entire life. We must be willing to pay the high cost of truth so that our minds and our future and our lineage can live in light. And you are not going to get there. Hear me, you are not going to get there. Through the path of the approval of man, you are going to have to walk the narrow and lonely path of the word of God. Broad is the way that leads to darkness and destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to light and leads to life, and few find it. I hope you're part of the few. I hope you're part of the remnant. I hope you are the anomaly, that your mind, that your life, that your future— is set upon the will of God, and I pray it flourishes. Can you say amen? I just wanted to clear it here today. Oh, please hear me, because I can, I can. feel. I can feel the lie of the enemy that says this shroud is on you, and it will forever be on you. This darkness, this cloud, this depression is on you, and it has final authority. Please hear me. It may be a process to walk through that valley, but there is no authority in heaven or earth that is greater than the authority of Jesus Christ. His blood is on you. He will walk with you, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Why do you think Jesus came to earth? Why do you think he arrived and came in the flesh? He tells us on the eve of his crucifixion, the Pharisees hated Jesus, People hated Jesus. Sadducees hated Jesus. Make no mistake, God Himself could come down to earth and all of humanity wouldn't recognize it, would miss it, and would hate Him. And so they bring Him to Pilate and they say, We want you to judge this man. And Pilate says, Aren't you the religious scholars? You judge Him. And they said, No, only you can bring death. So Pilate, the authority in Rome, understood that the law demanded death for Jesus. And so he asked him, he said, what is this all about? Are you a king? And Jesus says, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Powerful. And Jesus goes on to state his purpose and his authority and the reason he came. And Jesus says this, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth, to testify to truth. Why am I here? I am here to bring truth truth and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice but Pilate said to him what is truth that is the greatest question ever asked by any human to the greatest person who's ever lived Pilate got it right on this one what is truth it's almost as if Pilate stood in for all of humanity asking God will you please tell us Will you show us? Will you lead us? The reality is that right now, everyone is trying to get you to buy in and to follow with their truth. Maybe now, more than any other time in history, this question is more relevant because people are competing for your eyes, your ears, yes, your very soul. And this question is ringing out, what is truth? It's ringing out today. From all sectors of society, what is truth? But make no mistake, make no mistake, this is not a question for Jesus to answer. This is a question for you to answer. Jesus never answered this because it's as if he's letting the question go by him and come to us. What is truth? Pilate stood in the seat of authority and asked that to Jesus, but there will be a day where Jesus sits in the seat of authority and he asks it to you. Whose name have you believed? Whose path has you, have you chosen? Whose way have you walked? You are going to have to answer in your life for what you have staked your claim of truth on. Will you stake your claim of truth on what your forefathers told you? Will you choose truth based on what society approves? Will you choose truth based on the way you were raised? Or will you choose truth out of your personal experience? Will you choose truth out of your emotion? Will you choose truth? Will you choose truth out of ignorance? Will you choose truth out of a lie? Or will you choose truth out of Jesus Christ? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. Anyone that wants to come to the Father has got to come through me. And I just think this is an amazing moment that Pilate zeroes in on what's really going on here. He, he figures it out. The Pharisees don't even know what's going on here. The people that are shouting for Barabbas, they have no clue what's going on here. But, but, but God allowed Pilate to have a glimpse into what is really going on. That truth was on trial. That all of humanity was, was leaning into what was happening in that courtroom. And God wanted to say to us, this is what it's all about. I did not come here to die for kindness. I'm not dying or putting up being put on trial for my miracles. It's not my parables that are costing my life. It's the fact that I stand for truth. <laughs> truth has to pay the ultimate cost. What is truth? Truth is a man, Jesus Christ. The reality is, this is a question you must answer in your life. And how you answer this question that Pilate asks determines everything in your life. It will determine your sanity. It will determine your legacy. It will determine your eternity. Jesus is the personification of truth, and the world rejected him. But I pray that no matter the cost... You accept him and you accept his truth and you surrender your life unconditionally to his scriptures and his word that you might receive his light. Love is never the absence of truth. And the second truth I want to speak to you today is that love is not the avoidance of conflict. Love is not the avoidance of conflict. This is what love does it always protects, it defends. It fights, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. I tell you this because there is a lie that has come into the world and certainly been swallowed whole by the church. And the lie is this, that if there is disagreement, then there cannot be love. And you have to be very, very careful about this lie because there will come a day where you have to disagree respectfully. And that does not mean you are unloving. Love contends. Love defends the weak. Love protects truth. And make no mistake, love is not the avoidance of conflict. If you do not love your children, then, uh, then don't punish them. But if you do love your children, then set some boundaries and let there be some punishments. Why? Because an unloved child is a boundaryless child. Now, there needs to be some conflict because there are some boundaries. And you're coming up against the edge and we're saying this far and no further. So God to his children... God says, no, no, I have set my way, and, 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 and please hear me. Read the Old Testament. God is a God of, of love, but God is also a God of boundaries. Read the Old Testament, where God says, this far and no further to my people, and if you go further, I will judge you, and it will be difficult, and I do that to bring you back into my place of love, and there's grace back to him, but there's judgment when we stray. Look at the New Testament, and look when Jesus flipped the tables over. What is he doing? He's He's in conflict. Why? Because he says, I love, my house of my Lord, I love the house of the Lord too much to allow you to pervert it and use it to make money. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Make no mistake, if there is disagreement, there cannot be love. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The truth is this, that love, motivated by truth, must contend for righteousness. Let me put it simply, love actively defends love actively defends. Are you with me so far? You Feeling all right? I got the front row. The balcony is unsure. Well, buckle up because it's going to get, it's going to get bumpy. There are things that require your defense. There are things that require your protection. There are things that require your convictions. There are things that require your stance, no matter popular opinion. There are things that you are called to defend, motivated by love. What? requires defense. Right now, there is a spiritual war. There's a physical war, but there's a spiritual war going on, and it's coming for the minds and the hearts of believers. There's a spiritual war that is coming after people, and it is coming after you, and I want you to know what type of war you're engaged in. It's a long one. In other words, this is a siege warfare, and the enemy is seeking to surround your life, your mind, your body, and put it to siege, and it has. It seems like it's just never-ending. We're two and a half years in, and we're done with one thing and into the very next battle. Why? Because there's an overarching war that the enemy is coming after you right now. And I don't say this to scare you, but I say this so that you understand the reality of what is happening spiritually. 20 years ago, 40 years ago, there were problems, but it was not like this because we are living In a time of spiritual warfare. And it's amazing that spiritual warfare coincides with physical warfare. As if there are spirits of war that are stirring things up. And their goal is to besiege your mind. Because it wants to capture your mind. Because if the enemy can capture your mind, he can capture your entire life. If the enemy can poison the well of your mind, he will poison every single sip from it. He will poison every aspect that flows from it. So the enemy is coming after your mind. And so sometimes it might be through an assault, and you would call that spiritual attacks. And that is one way. The other way the enemy would try and capture your mind is by waiting for an opportune moment and slowly encroaching further and further in, which is why you need church, why you need worship, why you need the altar, why you need crew. To push back the boundaries of the enemy yes. little by little to push back darkness to cut away at the forest that seeks to try and overtake your mind but I got one more way that the enemy tries sometimes to sneak in and this is where he gets Christians a lot he does it the way that the Greeks did at Troy he, he sends in a Trojan horse it looks like a gift but it's actually a curse you must have discernment in this time. You must use your mind. you must use your ability to defend the gates. You must guard the gates that the enemy is trying to come through. I pray that God blesses you, but make no mistake. you have to check every good thing to make sure it's a God thing. Because not every good thing is a God thing. I got offered this promotion. That might not be something you accept. How could I never accept it? Because it might be a good thing, but not a God thing. Oh, I thought those were the same. No, God knows the beginning from the end. He knows further down the line. And sometimes God will warn you of things. Say, hey, don't go there. Don't schedule that. Not with them. Not at this time. Not at this company. And you say, well, I don't know why. And many Christians use that as a justification out. I don't understand why in my mind. Therefore, I'll ignore my spirit. But know that the Holy Spirit will speak to your spirit. And sometimes it will take your mind a year or a decade to catch up. In fact, there might even be things that you never figure out with your mind. Trust the Lord with your spirit. Because the enemy wants to come in with the Trojan horse. And there's a secret held within it. There's a curse held within the gift. And you have to know, if the Lord says no, I choose his timing, his way. I trust him. Why? Because I have to defend. And I'm defending in a spiritual sense, which means I don't get it all. So I have to trust the one that does. What requires your defense? What are the areas of your gateway? The first I've already been speaking about, which is your mind. You must defend your mind love will protect you have to love your mind it is valuable it is so valuable I'm telling you I could preach for another hour just on this if you lost your mind what would life be your mind is everything your mind is valuable you must defend your mind and there's a movement right now which is coming from a diminishment of your mind where you say, I want to I hack my mind, I want to hijack my mind because I want a spiritual experience. And you must be careful. Please hear me. You must defend your mind from lies, especially the lies that you allow and you tell yourself. You must defend your mind even from substances that seek to control your mind. Substances that control your mind. Any substance That causes you to lose your mind for a period of time is not your friend. And you have to be careful of substances that open doors to a spiritual world. Because you say it's all the same, it's all spiritual. It's not true. There are spirits and then there's the Holy Spirit. And what you gotta understand is the spiritual world, that's a tough neighborhood. And you might not be prepared for it. And everybody that mocks the devil never met him. He's taken down kings, he's taken down empires can't take down you. These demons can't take down you. You must guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Look, I'm specifically speaking to whoever needs to hear this, but I want to speak to the young men. I don't care what your friends do, and I don't care what podcast you listen to. There are some substances that will open doors that you do not want open because through those doors will come legion will come demons that you don't even know the names, but they're stronger than you. You have to be careful about these substances, whether, whether it's pot or ketamine or LSD or, 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 or some whatever strange crystals or whatever. You gotta be careful. I know, it's so silly, it's so dumb, but people have lost themselves. They've lost themselves. If, if you go down, if you go down to, to the inner city right now, you will see people screaming at phantoms. You say, what happened? I can tell you, they ingested a substance that opened a door that took over their mind. And so I'm encouraging you, don't take one step down that path if you don't want to end in that destination. Amen? And to encourage you, let me flip it. You see, when you fast, how something lifts from your mind. Be careful what you take in, because it will affect your mind. So watch what you eat, watch what you ingest, because you want your mind to be set on God. You want it to be free. You want it to be light. You want it to be clear. And you want the only door that's open in your mind, your heart and spirit, to be open to the Holy Spirit. And that's why you're in church right now. Defend your mind from media. Defend your mind from media. Media wants to turn your mind to mush. Make no mistake, their goal is not to inform. Their goal is to make money. And you're the product. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to use you to advance their narrative, to get views, to get clicks, to stir up outrage. And, and, and the reality is they want your mind. That's why there's 8 million things on the screen. There's tickers and there's gadgets and there's noises and there's colors and there's all this stuff. What is it? It's saying stay focused, stay focused, stay focused, stay focused. Yeah. All right, I can, tell. I can tell you don't need this. You got this part. No, you got this part. You're good. You're good. But I I, want to say this, I have talked to too many people that have a spirit of fear on them because they have opened a portal and an altar in their own home to a priest that only preaches fear. And whether he's from Fox or MSNBC, you have to be careful about the shepherds and the influences that you allow to speak into your home and minds every night. And I do feel led to say this, some of you feel like you're always angry can I tell you maybe the spirit of the man or the woman that you're listening to is getting on you and in you and the news is an outrage cycle and you feel like you can't break out of this addiction you say I need a miracle, I would propose that you don't need a miracle, you need someone to rob your TV (laughs) defend your mind defend your mind, watch what you allow, some of the most spiritual things you could do is click the off button or the delete button Defend your mind from perversion. It's coming through in all sources. Comes through music. Comes through apps. Comes through sites. Comes through conversations. And you might be saying, well, I'm triggered everywhere. I'm triggered everywhere. I'll never not be. Well, you might have to put some boundaries. You might have to put some locks. And you might have to get well acquainted with the delete button. And you say, now I want to be free. But I want these apps. At some point you might have to choose. To defend your mind so that you can walk in freedom. Are you with me? What requires your defense? Your mind and also your marriage. You got to defend your marriage. If the enemy can destroy your marriage, he can destroy your whole life and your whole lineage. You might be praying, Lord, protect my children. But the enemy is getting to your children through your marriage. The, way, the best way that you could ever protect your children is by defending your marriage. You have to defend the marriage bed. You have to defend the marriage home. You must defend with all that you have your marriage. And some of you feel like, well, it's too far gone. We've tried a bunch of things. You need to fight with all that you have and all that you are and try every single thing to keep that restored, holy. I pray air at the altar every week. If you need to get counseling, get counseling. If you need to buy books, buy books. If you need to go on a retreat or on vacation, do try everything. Because if you lose this, you lose everything. And I want to I tell you, there is, thank God, no such thing as generational curses. Because you're under the blood. And there is no curse that is greater than the blood. But I must warn you, there are generational costs and consequences of sin. Your action will actions right now will have a cascading effect for generations. You must defend your marriage. And I would propose to you, those of you that are married, to clearly establish and define some boundaries so that the door is not left unlocked, that the gate is not wide open, And that the enemy has no way to sneak in. Clearly define the boundaries. Billy Graham had what has become to be known the Billy Graham rule. The very beginning of his ministry. Him and four men realized that most of the men that are on the road and and even doing evangelist crusades, great men, but many of them fell fell into immorality and fell into foolishness. So Billy Graham and his men, they made a covenant amongst themselves. And it's been come to know as the Billy Graham rule. And they wrote out a covenant. And they said, we will never be alone in a room with another woman. We will not ride alone in a car with another woman. We will not go to lunch or be alone with another woman. And they made this covenant. And they were, they were honest with each other. And I thank God. I thank God that Billy Graham didn't pretend that he was Superman. I'm holy and I'm anointed. We'll be fine. Well, statistically, that's not true. I thank God that he got around some other guys and said, let's be transparent, yeah. let's be real, yeah. and let's set some boundaries because we got to defend our marriage. And, and, and that ministry wasn't perfect, but i got to say, it almost went 50, 70 years plus scandal-free. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Why? Because there were some ther- clear things to find. Now, this rule began to be practiced by different people. And, you know, it's funny, you know, recently in the news, the past few years, uh, last five years, people started making fun of it, laughing at it. Joking about it on Twitter, jeering and mocking, as they usually do with wisdom. And, and, and they laughed, you know, and say, like, what? You can't handle it? What? You can't control yourself? What? But then the Me Too movement happened. And all those people that jeered and mocked and laughed fell. And it came out that, oh, apparently there was wisdom to that rule, and you chose not to practice it. And you walked down a dark path, and you lost everything. More than your career, you lost You lost your reputation. You lost your children. You lost everything. And so I would encourage you, this isn't just for ministers. This is for anyone that wants to defend and define their marriage. Set some boundaries and be clear. And it it might be different for Billy Graham than it is for you, but sit down with your spouse and say, here's some things we're going to do and not do. Here's the passcode to my phone. Take it, whatever you want. Go through anything that you want. Not that many amens on this. Interesting. Let there be full, complete, and total transparency. Because love thrives in honesty. Okay. To the men, I would say, keep your guard way up. the women, I'd say, keep your guard way up pastor always told me, make sure it's like there's a a transparent shield right in front of you. I mean, come on, we know this illustration. We've been dealing with plexiglass for the last two years. You know how you've been talking to everybody? Boop boop. That's the way you should live. I'm kind. I'm here, but there's some bulletproof glass between you and me. (laughs) And if, and if there's a little something, if there's temptation that begins to worm its way in, if some things start going awry, if there's opportunity and, and, and there's, there's little glances and little flirtation, and little, make drastic efforts to change those circumstances. Change your jobs if you have to. Say, Pastor. <laughs> You're blowing this thing out of proportion. Who's going to put a roof over our head? Come on. Who's going to put food on the table? Well, she's going to own the roof. And no one's going to want to sit at the table with you. So So do whatever it takes. To not let the enemy worm his way in. Block old numbers. Delete old profiles. Change whatever you need to change. And be fully transparent. And I'm going to say one more word on this subject. Do not engage in any action that will cause your kids to become ashamed of you. Let that be your guiding light. Defend your marriage. These are the things that the enemy is targeting with all of his weaponry. And the third thing that we're called to defend is to defend our children. Defend your children. And you might be saying, well, I don't have children. Then defend our children. This is a responsibility that falls upon the church. In this hour, maybe more than ever before, because the enemy is targeting children. His goal is to steal their innocence, to demand their allegiance, and really, ultimately to destroy their life. And I want you to know this is not a new, this is not a new thing. Since the time of Pharaoh, those in positions of power have been coming after children. Pharaoh came for Moses. Many years later, we see the same spirit pop its ugly head up and King Herod came for Jesus. And now we're seeing it again. In our largest corporations, even in our own government, it's coming for innocence of our children. And it's strange, and I don't understand it, but somehow, some way, there is this demonic thing that comes into places of power that tries to come after those who are the least protected and the most innocent. And so I'm here to declare to this church, fathers, defend your home. Mothers... Defend your children. Stay engaged with them. Know where they are at. Know who they are with. Listen to your spirit about who they are with. What? He's a fine guy. He's my cousin. Listen to your spirit about who they are with. Interview their teacher. You know where there's a parent-teacher conference? They think they're talking to you. You're talking to them. Defend your children. Here's why. Only you, only you have the God-given authority and responsibility to raise your children. Only you. Not the media, not the state, not educators, and not themselves. They don't get to tell you who they are. You know who they are. You were there when they became them. Their emotions at a young age will change 50 times in 50 seconds. So we're not asking them, we're leading them. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're older, they will not depart from it. Lead them in truth. And the educators have no authority. Our children are not the wards of the state. We have the authority. And I'm going to ask you to do whatever it takes to maintain your authority over your child. You have to know. And you might have to sacrifice. My wife and I, we drive two hours total there and back to bring our kids to a Christian school. Two hours every day. Do I want to? No. But I will sacrifice so that my children get a biblical worldview not a demonic ideology. You might need to bring them to a Christian school. You might need to homeschool them. You might need to change some things. You might, you might need to know who their friends are. You might need to take away their phone because maybe an 11 year old doesn't need a phone. You need to make sure your, your internet is locked. You need to be careful what they're watching. You should look up what they're watching on sites that will tell you exactly what is in that. You need to be engaged the generation of parents on their phones while kids are on their phones and everyone's sitting at the table on their phones, that's not us. That's not us. We're going to be engaged. We're going to be present. We're going to be helpful. We're going to be loving. And we are not going to be willfully blind. What if people judge us? Let's stand with Jesus then. Stand right next to him. If they loved me, they would love you. If they accepted my words, they would accept yours. Thankfully, he already prepared us for this. And I, and I, I got to say, I'm, I'm saying this, I don't normally speak on things like this, this specifically, but for me, there is a massive wake-up call this week to see the corporation of Disney, the largest children's corporation in the history of the world, has come out against a bill in Florida. It's amazing that we even have to have this stinking bill, which says that, We should not be teaching in public school children that are five, six, and seven about sexuality. They call it the don't say gay bill. I'd like to call it don't say anything. Don't say anything about sexuality to a five-year-old. Are you insane? Why do we have to say this? Don't say anything. Let the children be children. Teach them colors teach them numbers, let them go to recess? Why do we have to say this? What is happening? Darkness is descending. So it's no longer time to be relevant. It's time to be truthful. It's time to be truthful. It's time to be truthful. It's time to to defend our children. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. But make no mistake, there are forces that are that are strategic in their efforts to capture your children's mind, your children's mind. But you are a general. You are a leader. You are led by the word and you are smart. And God will help you. Lock down your children's life so that it can flourish and be healthy and be happy. That your seven-year-old can love Batman and Black Panther. That your seven-year-old can think they're Superman. Not be coerced and confused and debased. Bible says this in Matthew chapter 18, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus said that. Jesus is all love, but love demands judgment. And God will stand as a righteous judge. And he will judge what we do to defend children and defend their honor. And when the time comes, let them walk into life healthy. Let them find a spouse. Let them have children. Let there be flourishing. But the right thing at the right time under the authority of Scripture. My question to us as a church, to you as parents and young leaders, is can you stand stand for truth? Will you choose to speak truth? despite any cost? Are you able to lead your family? Are you able to lead in love and set the boundaries that God defines as love? Because a new day is dawning. Love and truth, they are correlated and they are connected, but they are God's answer to evil. And we have to stand with both, both love and truth. This is what Paul says to the Romans to complete this. He says, let love be genuine. And abhor what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. Let that be our mantra. We will love genuinely. We will hate evil. And we will hold to what is good. Until we step into eternity and we stand before the king and we hear the phrase, Well done, my good and faithful servants. Today, we submit our life, our mind, our emotions, our thoughts, our past, and our future to the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Amen. Come on, will you stand to your feet with me? Now, I know I might have challenged some areas of your life, and I know I might have disrupted some idols. I want you to hear me. I speak in love, I speak in care, and I want you to know this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let conviction challenge you and change you and lead you, and let the darkness begin to wash off of you, and let light begin to take the place in your life first and foremost in your mind, in your body, in your spirit, in your home, in your family, your marriage. Let it be led by light, and I pray That you, as you embrace truth, it leads you into health and wholeness and everyone alongside with you. This is the church we're going to be. I'm so thankful for how many people are here at church. But make no mistake, I do not preach for the numbers. We preach for truth. (laughs) Amen. Because it's not a kindness to tell you what your itching ears want to hear and you walk away unchanged. No, but true love tells the truth. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.